On the Empire Podcast this week, we welcome the one and only Mr. Baby Goose, a.k.a. Ryan Gosling, as he makes his directorial debut with Lost River. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that hasn't seen Avengers Age of Ultron, despite the fact it's screening in the States. And you know what? We're totally, totally fine with it. Totally fine with it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay, Helen. It's okay. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Have you seen Avengers Age of Ultron? I haven't. Why would you rub it in? I don't know. I just need validation. Yeah. We're also joined by our geek dictator. He's not even a king or a queen, he's a dictator. Which, I should point out, when I was writing this on my iPhone mm. today, you know, with the predictive text and whatnot, and when I, I wrote dictator in reference to this person, autocorrect helpfully suggested dick splash instead of <laughs> dictator. <laughs> I, I took the moral high ground. I chose to go with dictator. Uh, welcome, James Dyer. That's an interesting thing to have in your, your autocorrect. It means that I've written it before. It does. I don't recall the thousands of occasions in which I've done that, so that seems strange. All right, here's a couple of questions you guys have been sending in. Uh, we have one from Ian in Birmingham, the mysteriously named Ian in Birmingham uh, via email who says, this week I finally completed my PhD. Hooray! Overachiever. Well done. This got me thinking, says Ian in Birmingham, who is your favourite movie scientist? And then Ian in Birmingham says, mine are Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Uh, Technically speaking, he's a cable repair guy uh, Jeff Goldblum in The Life Aquatic and Jeff Goldblum in Cats and Dogs in case you were wondering <laughs> uh, uh, mm. these are all good Jeff Goldblum yeah. mm. also is Jeff Goldblum in th- he's, is he a scientist in Jurassic Park he's a chaos mathematician he's a mathematician that's science it's maths and science it's Dr. Yeah. Ian Malcolm you know, it is Dr. Ian Malcolm. Maths and science are two very, very different things. Also, science and magic are two very, very different things. But not in the world of Avengers, where they come together to be... No, hang on. Uh, yes, back to the question. Sure. Yes. Oh, Hel- I was expecting Helen to chip in and talk about the techno-mages from Babylon 5. Oh, God. I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> Go for it. Go on, Helen. Throne no, from uh, I mean, the, listen, obviously there, there are the, the mega-obvious ones like Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future. But I'm going to mention... Yes. Doctor Hafar Hafar from the Man with Two Brains. Again, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say, is he a scientist? He's Very a surgeon. So. He's a surgeon, isn't he? Well, yeah, but that's sort of a science medicine. Uh, well, you're you're nitpicking now. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take a, a fine scalpel to this, and uh, I'm gonna disqualify him on the grounds <gasps> that he is a medical doctor and not a scientist. But I just wanted to be able to say Hafar Hafar. Well, yeah, but can you say An Amel Mahay? <laughs> Annie Omel Mahay. <laughs> Have you seen this film, James? A very long time ago. I just wondered if you both had a stroke. Okay. Uh, but, speaking of great scientists from that film, sure. David Warner is Dr. Catheter. Yes. Now that is, that is a, a scientist. scientist so yeah. uh, that's, that's put him in. I, Dr. Harfar, of course, uh, pioneered the screw-top method of brain surgery, where you <laughs> screw the top of the person's head. <laughs> that is real science. Yes. It's, it's mega science. Yes. Dr. Peter Venkman. Again, I mean, I feel like paranormal studies are more arts than yeah, science. But to quote Dr. <laughs> Peter Fenkman himself, back off, man, I'm a scientist. There we go. So, ergo, ipsum, yeah. allore, <laughs> dot, dot. Y- you haven't finished your PhD, Chris, have you? <laughs> In Latin. <laughs> no, I haven't. 
<laughs> Amazingly, no. Um, I'm ambulo. I will ambulo to the uh, exam room and I will definitely finish him that uh, exam paper um, in due course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, liberate me. Liberate tutame ex enferis. Are you possibly quoting Event Horizon? I am quoting Event Horizon, <laughs> uh, which, has, uh, which has a great movie scientist. It does. Dr. Dr. William, William Wheel. Oh, yeah. God. And here we go, round and round, <laughs> like circles in this. <laughs> 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 uh, right, let's get out of the way. And you thought you'd come up with a question, the answer to which was not eventualized. <laughs> you were wrong. Sorry, Inner Birmingham. He knew. He knew. We're going. We don't need eyes to see. We don't need PhDs to finish. Yeah, let's get out of the way. Let's, let's do the Marvel thing. Sure. The science bros. Science bros. Yeah, science bros. Come on. Tony Stark. Yeah. And uh, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner, yeah. not Ed Norton's Bruce Banner. Nah, you don't like him. I'm I'm, I'm okay with uh, with Eric Banner's Bruce Banner, um, but okay. I, I'm, I'm, he's probably my Norton is my least favorite Hulk. Although I think he's very very good in many many things he's done. That would mm -hmm. be my least favorite Hulk role. Okay, uh, any great scientists who say things like, "I know it's crazy, but it just might it work. just might work." Anyone like that? And they like great fifties um, B movies, a thing from another world, and and them know, and stuff like yeah. that. I think you've overlooked Detective Jenko from Twenty One <laughs> and Twenty Two Jump Street because fuck you, science. That's true. That's true. We did do that. Um, I, maybe maybe a nod to Piers Brosnan in Mars Attacks. Uh, yes. Who I feel like he should be in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, he should be in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Isn't Doctor Strange love a scientist? Yes. There we go. He's also a Ibsen. Nazi, <laughs> so he wouldn't appear on my list of top scientists. Right, yes, yes. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai, he's got everything. He's a, he's a neurosurgeon, he's a test pilot, he's a rock star. He's also a particle physicist, which I believe is science. Yeah. So I put him on the list. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So I think we've found I think we've covered this. We haven't covered it. The world of science is huge. It's fast. It comprises biology, chemistry, physics, and something else. And we haven't even scratched the surface. Okay, so I'm doing a quick Google here. There's all these, look at all these people. Look at all these great people. Dr. Shelton Cooper, that's, that's not, that's, that's not TV. That's, yeah, that's true. Dr. Victor Frankenstein. True, he is a scientist. The original mad scientist. Mm. But the problem with all these people is, and I think as Ian and Birmingham correctly pointed out, none of them are played by Jeff Goldblum. And I think he kind of nailed it. You have to have Jeff Goldblum as a scientist in your film. Not as a mad scientist, just as a mm, mm, scientist. Brundlefly yeah. is the next step forward. Yeah. See, Brundlefly wasn't mad. He was on he was onto something. He had he had the right ideas. He had the right ideas. Uh, I could go on about this one for, Should we not, though? forever and ever and ever because there are tons of people we haven't even mentioned the likes of Dr. Moreau or... Um, <laughs> is what? this a scientific experiment in and of itself? What, me just mentioning people? D to dedicate the oh, entire yeah. podcast to this All question. Right. Herbert West from Reanimator. How can you not mention Herbert yeah, okay, West Yeah, okay, that's from a fair show. Yeah, these are good people. These are good people. Dr. Logan from Day of the Dead. I, I could just go on forever. And, and um, you are. I am. I am. I am. Wait, Dr. Evil. No, that's not a scientist. I'm just Googling mad scientists. Is Dr. Evil a scientist? Uh, he went to Evil scientist? Medical School, I believe. So well, I then he's he, a medical be, doctor of yeah, evil, and that be, doesn't count. <laughs> he'd be ruled out on your earlier All right. criteria. Okay, there's tons of people. Absolutely yes. tons of people. All right, okay. But I sense that James wants to move on. <laughs> to really anything, really. Anything else? Anything you like. A Pick question, a topic. Here's a question. From at Shepgeek. Jimbo, you'll love this one as well. Shepgeek says, The Fast franchise looked pants 
so I skipped it. Uh, now I feel I need to join in the lunacy. Which do I need to see? Um, mm, interesting. I, I'm going to say to start with the first one. Is that what, go the unconventional? Whole way oh, for sure. You know what? No, do three, then watch two. Watch five, then seven, then six, then go back to one. Okay. And there's a hidden message. No, that's just silly. It won't matter. That is completely out of order. He makes a valid point. None of it makes the blindest bit of sense yeah. and it's a it's a series that has embraced lunacy to extraordinary uh, rewards um, because it has opened in the States and in fact worldwide um, to it opened in the States last week to 146 million dollars uh, which is the, one of the top 10 openings of all time um, fascinating uh, successful movie it, I think it could well make a billion this one and, and James this is all as a, as a result of your review it, it is yeah. actually yes I take full credit <laughs> for the film's success yes mm. uh, do you think people are getting confused by my review I or? mean I like the film a lot I've seen it a couple of times now uh, but do you think people are going to go they, they go to f- see one ticket for Furious 7 and then they come out of it and they go alright now I need to see Fast and Furious 7 and then they go and pay for that and then they ask for Fast 7 so maybe they can see the film three times before they realise they've just seen the, the one film three times that seems a little unlikely I'll be honest yeah, yeah okay. melding this question and the previous one there was a scientific study done uh, and I know because it appeared on Twitter and it came in the form of a pie chart and it was basically a breakdown of all Vin Diesel's emotions <laughs> and it turned out that he was 50% furious 47% fast and 3% Groot fast so isn't that's an emotion a, that's good mm. It is for Vin. It's a sexual technique. <laughs> but in answer to the original question, yes. obviously watch them chronologically, so that's one, two, four, five, six, right up until near the end, at which point you watch three, then you watch the end of six, and then you watch seven. But you kind of have to splice in a bit of three to seven as well so that you mm. can watch uh, mm. uh, Lucas Black age a decade <laughs> <laughs> by walking ten feet. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say... Actually, no, Helen, you go first. Well, you could start with five. Um, I mean, Helen, let's you, be honest, you'd start and end with five yeah, if you I could. Yeah, I pretty much would. I, I'd do five and seven and then just leave out the rest. I mean, the thing is, no, you know, there is a whole yeah. backstory that you get from two about the, the friendship between uh, <laughs> Paul Walker and Tyrese, but it doesn't matter a damn. It doesn't matter because I, I, I've only seen Too Fast and Furious once, yeah. right? I haven't necessarily felt the need to go back and, and revisit it. But is it just me or does Tyrese's character undergo a complete personality change from that movie to when he shows up again in Fast I mean, Five. And now in Fast Seven, he's essentially a buffoon who's just comic relief. I mean, listen, he was funny in that one, but not right. as ridiculous yet as, 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 as he has become. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's fu- we need some comic relief there, and he's actually quite good at it, so fair enough. Wasn't but. he meant to be like the, the Vin Diesel replacement in, in Too Fast, Too Furious? He was meant to be like the cool, gritty, tough guy... You know, I know he wasn't the bad guy. That was Cole Hauser. Yeah, he, he wasn't. He, d- he always Hauser. had. A, he no, always Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser. He always had a bit of a of a comic thing going on. Mm. You know, when when Paul Walker did the stare and drive with Eva Mendes, I don't remember any of this. So he's driving straight down a road at speed, but he's staring at her and that not looking seems, at all where he's going. That like seems for unsafe a, for for an extended period of time. Totally unsafe. Right. Don't do it at home, kids. But uh-huh. um. And Tyrese pulls up next to them and goes, he did the stare and drive, didn't he? I taught him that. And there's, so there's all this, there's a kind of a bantering thing going on even there. Oh, um, so okay. it, was, it was there, it just, it's yeah. been much, much developed since. Okay, so you say to get the full backstory of Roman Pierce, <laughs> you need to watch Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, yes, you can go, you could just go in release order, it'll work. Mm. But if you're in a hurry, I'd start with Fast Five. <laughs> I've always found that the second one to be a little too furious. <laughs> <laughs> Should anyone watch Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift? 
James and I went to see that when it was... When it was James gave it three stars. <laughs> um, it, it's not too bad. It's, yes, you're right. We, it was a daytime screen. I remember yes. that. Yeah. And it was really good except when anybody talked. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was my verdict. Mm. Uh, yes, well, it's, all, it's quite, it's quite um, skiddy. Mm. The skidding is well done. The skidding is well done. There's lots of skidding. I would go, yeah, five. Watch five. Watch six. Only to figure out some of the plot threads, you might wonder why some characters have disappeared. And then watch seven. Those three works a trilogy within themselves. Fast and Furious has plot strands that if you haven't seen Fast and Furious by the time you see Fast Six, you might get confused because <laughs> there's some callbacks to characters. All the Letty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you might yeah, precisely. Yeah, I um, and, and and I mean, if you've seen Point Break, I mean you'll pretty much understand the first, the first Fast one. And Furious, yeah. So that's yeah. Okay. You don't need to see the first one at all. No. I'd say skip the first three. Except for the fact that the first one is the best. It's oh not the best. It's the best. It's absolutely... It's, the best. it's a Rob Cohen film. It's, it's not the, the best. best. It's not the best. It is superb. So there you go. Uh, there is a definitive answer, Shep Geek. Um, come back in a couple of weeks' time we'll be doing this with the, the definitive Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun. It involves a lot of stopping of pausing of DVDs while you put on another DVD in the background and you, you know, you fire up your Netflix and it's all very multi-screen and very cool. Anyway... If you want to have your questions read out on the Emperor podcast and mangled beyond all recognition, then do send them in. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Uh, use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. We're on Facebook uh, as Empire Magazine. And we can be emailed at podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, let's segue seamlessly into movie news. You see that there? That was a, that was a seamless segue. <laughs> Obviously, there's lots of news to talk about this week. Uh, we've already mentioned the Fast and Furious box office bonanza. That's a lot of that's a lot of fun. Probably guarantees eight, nine, ten, which have already been kind of preliminarily discussed. But uh, there was no doubt in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Vin Diesel says that uh, Kurt Russell will be uh, a big part of Fast and Furious Eight, which is good because I liked Kurt Russell in that film. That's who. Where should we start? Gremlins remake. Gremlins remake. Yes. It's inevitable. And it is happening, and it is being produced by Steven Spielberg and Chris Columbus. It's like they threw water on the original. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, it, in this case, it, it, it could have been urine. I'm so glad that this uh, this is announced today, and not say on Monday night when I interviewed Chris Columbus, and I could have talked to him about it and asked him about it. So, <laughs> you know, thanks for the good timing, everybody. Uh, well done, pat in the back. Uh, yes, Carl Ellsworth. Carl Ellsworth is uh, the man who's been hired to write this under the auspices of Steven Spielberg, who, of course, produced the original, and Chris Columbus, who wrote the original, Joe Dante, who directed both the original movie and its superior sequel, uh, Gremlins to the New Batch. Is now, this isn't Carl's first remake, is it? Is what? This isn't Carl's first remake, is it? It's not Carl's first remake, no. Uh, he uh, has re He's written The Last House on the Left, so you can automatically see why he'd be it's about home invasion it's about people doing wacky things with microwaves so uh, why not why not put him back on gremlins and he also wrote the remake of Red Dawn mm. 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 now you shouldn't always judge a screenwriter by their credits but Disturbia wasn't so bad <laughs> so bad it was fine it wasn't so bad yes that's clinging. are to the that. gremlins <laughs> going to be digitally altered to become North Korean I mean, to be honest, Stranger Things have ha actually happened because, you know, it was a sort of Chinese origin in the original and now the, the Chinese box office is so point. important. Yeah. You know, they may play that up or play it down. Who knows? Mr. Peltzer mm. goes to a North Korean curiosity store. <laughs> 
and picks up a little animal. Of which there are many, yes. many, many yes. such stores. Uh, Carl Ellsworth, uh, his most recent film is the Goosebumps movie, which, which uh, stars Jack Black and will come out next year. And that, I presume, is what got him the gig. It, yeah. it feels more tonally in keeping with what Gremlins is, which is a, a very, very spooky horror comedy. Um, I mean, that should be, if Goosebumps works, it should be horror for kids or mm-hmm. at least young teenagers. And if if they kind of go that line for Gremlins, that's not such a bad approach to take. Mm. And the fact that we, we've got to take comfort from Steven Spielberg being involved, that's got to be a good sign. Fingers crossed for this. But yeah, it, it's always a worry when they remix something that's basically perfect. It is and doesn't necessarily seem to need to be remade. And I can just already feel them throwing CG at it and loads of CG gremlins and which is fine in the right context and it'll, you know be okay but the uh, the Rick Baker Chris Wallace creations from the first two movies are so good mm. um, that's what we want I think speaking of both nearly perfect and CG um, of which there wasn't any I'm not CG Helen but <laughs> we've established it uh, a need for speed sequel yes there um, is no need for need for speed <laughs> This is, I mean, <laughs> genuinely, this is a film that I think we were all hoping to really enjoy. We all went into that screening, I think, pretty excited. And came out saying things like, kill it with fire. Y- yes, yes, we did. Yes. Um, you know, huge fans of Aaron Paul, huge fans, as you've just heard, of the Fast and Furious franchise. And also, I play the games a lot. There you go. And and yet it was, it was pretty dreadful. Um, but it made over 200 million worldwide on a 66 million budget. It did what and when and how and apparently. why? I want I want answers. Mm. And apparently it virtually made its money back just in China. This and, despite being approximately 15 hours long. And, and terrible. Mm. Um, but apparently it's a, it's a Chinese partnership. It will be filmed in China. Um, and uh, it's happening whether you want it or not. I don't know what else to say. No, let, okay, let's be positive for a second because obviously that's my natural inclination. Maybe they've learned from their mistakes. Maybe, because the first one very much, they clearly pitched that as, hey, you know that Fast and Furious franchise that makes Universal all the money in the world? Let's do it this with this game IP, and look, people already play the game, it's going to be great, and the guy from Breaking Bad, it's amazing! You know, it's like it was conducted, uh, you know, put together in a test tube. It's like IVF filmmaking. They may have learned, they may have realised what went wrong, they may do it better. Stranger things have happened. Yes. Or not. But let's hope. (laughs) Yeah, that's hope. That's hope. And uh, do you think Aaron Paul's turned his phone off? (laughs) (laughs) He's gone camping in the mountains, I hear. He's playing Xbox and just refusing to answer any calls. Yo! Oh, God, it's Needless for Speed. Uh, Aaron's not in right now. He'll call you back. He'll call you back in six months or so. I don't know. I'd get someone else if I were you. Uh, This is definitely my answer machine. Bye! That's what... Who knows? I mean, maybe this could become, you know, when we see Need for Speed 7 in a few years, maybe, we can, yeah. maybe we'll be completely mad about it. Absolutely, because like, like the, uh, the Fast and Furious franchise, it would, you know, have had a pretty poor opening chapter, uh, James, I'm sure you'll agree, and, uh, <laughs> and then gone on to greater heights. Yeah, but they Literally might have, they might, they might get into the, you know, the confusing nomenclature as they get on, you know, I don't know whether it's N double th- need for speed 33 four. would be yeah. N33D for speed they might be uh, you know need for speed 5 you really yeah. need the speed needier um, for speedier needier for speedier neediest for speediest yeah yeah <laughs> Actually, uh, not. I totally need. want to see it. I'm, in, I'm so on board now. I've just heard those those titles. Wonderful. Some kind of baking spin-off. On. Need that speed. I don't know. That's all it takes. That's the great all British it takes. need for speed. Yeah. Um, we've got we've got some comic book movie news because yeah. you know it's it's a day ending in a Y. Uh, so uh, on Wednesday night, 
this is recorded on Thursday, uh, David Ayer, director of Suicide Squad, assembled his cast, his his mighty cast, uh, for a read-through pick, and um, all except Jared Leto, who mm. presumably is already in full Joker mode. <laughs> He's such a joker. And refusing to show up on... Maybe he just doesn't show up on film anymore. Maybe that's just what, what it is. He's... You know, he's become godlike and just doesn't show up. I think, I think he's gone method. He's actually playing the water jug on the table. <laughs> Maybe he is. Lots of people, some new additions to the, the cast. So this is this is getting underway fairly soon, actually, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. So you've got Will Smith in there uh, as Deadshot. You've got Margot Robbie as um, Harley Quinn. You've got Jai Courtney and uh, Joel Kinnaman, who, whose name I did not just forget, uh, in the same room, um, but not in the same space because obviously if they touch then the world will explode well that is going to be something to look out for yes. on set Joel Kinnaman's playing Jai Courtney in this movie and Jai Courtney's playing Joel Kinnaman um, I believe that's how it works we also have Adewale Akinoye Agbaji who's going to be Killer Croc Adam Beach has been added to the cast look at that that's interesting and Scott Eastwood wasn't in the picture either uh, but yeah it's, it's, it's interesting it's an interesting approach to costumes they all seem to be wearing their normal clothes yeah, almost like it was a table read and not a costumed pick. Oh, I thought it was the first official picture, but no, it doesn't seem to be. What do you think? You excited about this this film, Jimbo? I am reserving judgment, not because I think it will be bad, because actually it's got some really great people in it, just because I just, I'm, as as you are, I'm very much a, a sort of Marvel-inclined I comic fan. I don't know what fan. you're talking yeah. about, but I, uh, I treat both equally. <laughs> yes, you have been known throughout history to be fair and even-handed in this particular regard. No, I'm, as with all forward, things. I'm looking forward to seeing Jai Kinnaman or Joel Courtney, one of the two. Uh, as Playing the ca- Flash, Aqua Flash. Captain Rubbish. Yeah. And, oh. uh, and then... <laughs> Come what? now. Come now. And then there's, uh, you know, the not as, you know, uh, Doctor Not As Good As Marvel. Um... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, come on. I think it's going to be really good. For me, it's lack of familiarity because I don't really know these characters. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not overly. I'm not overly familiar with the DC with the DC pantheon. Mm. So uh, I don't have the the same attachment I do to say the Avengers or the X Men. Mm. This is true. But, uh, you know, this we'll is true. Well, but also, DC is an interesting one because DC, obviously, I believe I'm correct. Tell me if I'm wrong. I believe DC predates Marvel by some time in terms of chronology, and it is aimed at a younger audience. Was aimed at a younger audience, and it came out at a different time, which is why they their characters traditionally skew slightly silly is that fair i, I think if you're referring to the 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 big heavy hitters in the dc universe then yes but a lot of these characters in suicide squad are relatively yeah they're fresh like... relatively new creations not all of them but captain boomerang for example let's get past that and uh, <laughs> and focus on the likes of, of Harley Quinn and whatnot. And of course, you got the Joker himself, yeah. which is going to be fascinating. My concern is that this will become a Joker movie, but you've got Will Smith in it, who is one of the biggest movie stars yeah. on the planet. So it might also become a Will Smith movie. So yeah. I don't think that um, Margot Robbie would let either of that, those things happen. And I think Harley Quinn is a real... She's she's fantastic casting. If you look, she's got exactly the grin to oh, yeah. Harley Quinn. Absolutely. Exactly the grin. Um, and she's such a good character. You know, she actually really came to, into her own in the animated series. Um, more than on the comic pages um, and she's such a force there and she is so big in fandom that they would be foolish to give her anything other than a pretty major role so I'm actually pretty hyped about that aspect of things and I think she can kind of um, stop it from being an old boys club This is of course the film that Will Smith's doing instead of Independence Day 2 now That's got to be a vote of confidence surely It has, but we were saying the other day that I personally I think he's 
He should do Independence Day too. Turn well. He should try and figure it out. He should try and do away. He'll be missed in that film, I think. Yeah. Um, I just don't want him to be bumped off off camera or whatever. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Also, this week in in comic booky movie newsy stuff, this is out now on the Empire website and probably everywhere else by the time you hear this. But uh, we confirmed yesterday, Thursday, that uh, Angel will be appearing as a lot of people. David Boreanaz. That's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> as a lot of people had expected in uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Um, we put out some concept art yesterday, uh, along with the confirmation from Brian Singer himself that Angel will be played by Ben Hardy in the film, formerly of EastEnders. Uh, but the concept art, dun, 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 <gasps> seems to show Archangel's wings. Ba, ba, ba. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, I, you know, the word Archangel did not leave Brian Singer's lips. But um, not a shock, though, given what the film is called, is it? No, it's just pleasant. We like to, you know, know things like that. Yeah, it seems strange to me that they're tiptoeing around the fact that it's clearly Archangel. Mm. But um, but there you go. Yeah, because much like Red Bull, Apocalypse gives you wings. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, metal bladed ones. He does. Archangel, uh, in case you don't know, is Warren Worthington the Third. Mm-hmm. Um, who is uh, a winged mutant. You may have seen uh, a really miscast Ben Foster playing mm-hmm. him in X-Men The Last Stand. Um, so he's a rich kid who happens to have uh, gorgeous wings um, and he is basically uh, taken by Apocalypse and tortured and uh, generally abused and he is uh, given metal wi- bladed wings, mm-hmm. which, yes, he can fire blades like feather And blue skin and sharp his, teeth and, and pointy ears yes, and yes. slightly pointy nose, weirdly. Yes, and we're um, not sure how all that makes any sense, but shh, it's Apocalypse is the answer. Well, he's death, isn't he? He's one of the four horsemen. That's the... Uh, but, well, yes, but like it's still, you know, it's not the most obvious thing to do to a dude. Like, I wouldn't take a winged dude and think, you know what would be cool? If I made his ears pointy and shaved his head and painted him blue and gave him metal wings, well, like it's a bit odd. That's why you're not a megalomaniacal mutant villain, Helen, because oh, well, you, you lack imagination. Whereas well, James is, he's yes. well. That's absolutely the first thing I'm going to do to Chris when we leave the podcast. On that one. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, very very cool character, um, and the, the the design here looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I do think. think Ben Hardy's better casting than Ben Foster. He is. I, I do wonder. I mean. You know, is he going to start off as Angel and then turn into Archangel? Or do we see him first as Archangel, one of Apocalypse's four horsemen, as you said? Um, and then maybe he becomes Angel at the end of the movie and they, he reverts back to his original mutant form. Who knows? Who knows? But um, I think Ben Hardy's casting in this is is inspiration for any actor who's currently slogging away through... <laughs> bit, you know, through a, a soap. Through a soap, yeah. You know, it can happen to you. Uh, it can happen to you. All right. That was inspirational, wasn't it? I felt quite moved by that. Shall we have a guest then? Uh, Ryan Gosling doesn't really seem to want to be a megastar, even if that's what others would like him to be. After his iconic turn in Drive, he's made a series of interesting and offbeat choices. We're not going to mention Gangster Squad. Not least of which is going behind the camera for this week's Lynchian coming-of-age tale, Lost River. He came into London this week, and we sent our art house guru, Phil DeSemlian, to match wits with the baby goose. Enjoy. Ryan Gosling, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you here talking about Lost River, which is out today. Um, there's a lovely way you've been talking about the film as a sort of a gothic fairy tale. And I, I was reading in my research that The Secret of Nim was, was a film that was kind of a bit of a touch point for this. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine 
that when I watched it. But can you just tell me a bit about how this, how that kind of in, inspired you? It just was one of my, you know, favorite films when I was a kid. Actually, the the uh, um, the stories are are kind of similar, and and uh, I I kind of became friends with one of the animators, and so he he fun fact he helped me storyboard this movie. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's uh it's got a little, there's some secret of them in it. It's a, it seems like the fairy tale world has come to the cinema in quite a big way this year. I mean obviously like Cinderella and such like. Right. Yeah. And Lost River's right in the middle of that. Do you do you have any idea why that's why that is the case? And did you have any inkling that that was sort of in the waters when you were making this movie? I didn't. You know, I I felt like a fairy tale format was the best way to tell the story because. I didn't want it to become uh, or get lost in like the sort of political minutia of, of sort of like why this this uh, city was crumbling, you know, and in di- and and in disrepair. You know, I sort of wanted it to feel a little bit. It just sort of helps you focus on the emotional landscape of something, you know. So, yeah, it's got some some stunning visuals in it, and I actually did watching it. Um, just to put it into context, I guess, for listeners, that it's set in, it's set in, it's not Detroit, but it is obviously shot in Detroit and kind of inspired by this broken city. I don't right. know if you'd see it as a dying city, but it's got incredible nightscapes. And um, Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void kind of kind of sprang to mind. And obviously you shot using his cinematographer. Yeah. Um, were there any images that kind of inspired you when you sat down to write this? Was there any kind of anything fixed in your mind that when you sort of literally sat down for the first time and started typing? Well, it... You know, it came from the experience of going there. I had the opportunity to work in Detroit. And just as a kid growing up in Canada, I had a real romanticized idea of Detroit. You know, it just seemed like everything cool came from there. And it was the birthplace of, you know, the the uh, the American dream or all that iconic imagery of that, you know. And so when I got there, I was surprised because, you know, it's very different now. And they they were declaring bankruptcy when I got there. They There's 40 miles of abandoned neighborhoods. They were cutting out some of the power to the streetlights. And, you know, within those neighborhoods, occasionally there's a family sort of still trying to hold on to their home, even though the, the, all the houses around them are being torn yeah. down or burned down. So it seemed like the, the dream had become a nightmare for some of these people. And so I wanted just to make a film about that. Is it showing in those neighborhoods? This, the film? Yeah. No, there's not, I don't. No, it's not theaters in those. No, so did you get? Did you, I mean, did people kind of come and want to interact with you and talk they about did. things other than the notebook? Do they want to come and chat to you about what you were doing? And did you explain that it was kind of about their stories? Yeah, and they a lot of them. Uh, all the people that we met are in the film. Mm. You know, the film sort of starts with the real kind of version of this, which is there's a a, a guy that that we met named Skip who who grew up on the street and now is in his sort of i don't know i guess like his late 50s and yeah um and is the only one left and there's he's the only person living for for like 10, ten blocks wow know? and and so he sort of starts off the movie and he's he's we in the film we, we made him a character that was leaving town and sort of warning the the uh, the lead character that he should leave too but yeah. um a lot of people found their way into the movie uh and that's to me where the movie was kind of the most exciting and the most what we were sort of um, looking for, you know, yeah. which was to try and bring like to tie in the the nat the real s- 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 uh, like what's really surreal mm. about what's happening yeah. there. It's got lots of David Lynch touches. 
the, the old dinosaur park. It's really cool. Really Thanks. cool. Um, Thank you. I wondered, it also reminded me a bit of watching Robocop as a kid. Sweet. Yeah. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Well, there you go. The, Thank you. That's, yeah, that's the, I can go now. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, you know, the Robocop predicted Detroit as it kind of is a bit in a way. Mm. And your film is almost like set in the, po- the aftermath of that. It's got a really cool sense of place and also a great, a great score. The other w- thing about um, just Detroit, just to mention, is that even though that's what's featured in this movie and obviously like what you know, a lot of people gravitate towards to shoot in, there's so much to it. You know, it, Part of what's exciting about shooting there is there's just such an energy there right now and there's such a sense of, of rebirth and they're sort of redefining what they are and, and uh, it's very exciting. A lot of, a lot of create, creative people and a lot of... Um, um, you know, just 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 incredible diversity in locations. You know, even though again, you wouldn't you know you wouldn't think that, but you could shoot ten movies in Detroit, and and you would think they're in ten different places. Wow. Okay, I haven't been. I mean, those things sound cool. There are no robot policemen at this point, as yet. There are. Well, there. I think there's one in Congo. There's a ro- <laughs> There's a robot traffic cop. I know that to be true. Is that real? Yeah. Right, that's an amazing fact. Thank you. Not um, as tough as RoboCop, but RoboTraffic Cop. RoboTraffic Cop. <laughs> it's a whole different movie. It just stands there directing traffic. This, it's got a great score as well, and it reunited you with um, the Chromatics. On Johnny the, Jewel. Johnny Jewel and the Drive, the Drive, who contributed to the Drive soundtrack. Is yeah. that on your iPod still? The, the Drive soundtrack? Do you have an iPod? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's on there. Sure, it's on there. I have all of Johnny's stuff. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's really cool what he's done in this movie. Did you play the music on set? I played music on set. Um, I, I, uh, you know, Johnny just was a was. He got it. I sent him the script, and 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 two hours later, he texted me and said, "Dark Goonies, cool." <laughs> and why is that not on the poster? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I thought, yeah, he gets it, and that's that's exactly right, and. You know, he he just has the um, the the we have the same sort of like sensibilities or like I guess the '80s sensibilities. You know, um, that we have you know we share a lot of the same taste. So yeah, he was a great collaborator. Yeah, and um, and Ben Mendelsohn, I have to mention because he's having a moment. It's taken a while, but he's just phenomenal in everything he does. Yes, um, don't know if you've seen him in Bloodline. He owns Bloodline. He owns it. Uh, he's great in this. He has a great line of dialogue that you wrote for him about everyone. Everyone has to do the shimmy, shimmy, yeah. Yeah. That's his line, actually. Oh, did he come yeah. up with that? Did yeah. he? he? And you got him to sing, and he's got a bit of a Nick, Nick Cave thing going on. He's a good singer, right? He's an amazing singer. When I worked with him on uh, Place Beyond the Pines, he would come to set with um, a, like a like a boombox on his shoulder, and he would be listening to two live crew, and he'd be singing it like he was Al Jolson. And you just, I just had to find a way... To, uh, I wanted to write something where he could be the terrifying song and dance man that 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 he that he is. That is amazing. Seriously, that's even better than Robo Traffic Cop. <laughs> Two live crews like Al Jolson with a boombox. It's <laughs> <laughs> a typical um, day with Ben. No, fair enough. Um, going off a complete tangent, yeah. Disneyland with Guillermo. Yes. Who picks the rides? Uh, you go on the Guillermo trip when you go. Do you? you Does he have Guillermo. a favorite? Do your is do your favorite haunted mansion? Yeah, um, for sure. He loved cars, right? He loves the cars ride. We rode that a few times in a row. And, and having been in drive, is it is it enough for you? <laughs> is it like I've got to be <laughs> off this in four minutes, otherwise I'm out of it? <laughs> <laughs> I had never been on it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
So that was fun. But he also just knows, like, he just, you know, he speaks its tongues. Went to club um, 33, you know. Okay. And uh, there's, like, secret, Dis- like, Walt Disney apartments within the club, within the, the park. Disney has an apartment that's above um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And everything in the room comes to life. I did not know that. He showed me a painting where it's got four jazz musicians in it. And at a certain point in the in the day, each one disappears from the painting and they reappear somewhere else in the room and play a solo on their instrument. And they made a movie about Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And not that. <laughs> I know. What are they thinking? What is wrong with the world? <laughs> I've I got to ask you, what is more, I mean, what was harder for you to, what's been harder for you to deal with? The, the fact that the movie, you know, met a prickly response in Cannes, mm. or the fact that since then everyone's asking you about how you feel about the prickly response <laughs> in Cannes? <laughs> yeah. I guess being asked about it more because, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a part of every, every film has its, has its critics and its champions, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's just pretty par for the course. I wanted to ask you a different question about it, though, which is that a lot of filmmakers have been booed at Cannes. Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver was booed at Cannes. Yeah. You know, Cronenberg was booed at Cannes, and, and David Lynch has been booed at Cannes. So it's kind of a rite of passage for even the great filmmakers. But I wonder for you, the films that you've been, right back from The Believer, you know, yeah. have been films that aren't necessarily going to, people aren't going to walk out of going, yeah, I enjoyed that. That was fun. And then they forget about it overnight. They're not comfort food. Right. And I wondered, you know, is that going to be reflected in the films that you make as a director? Are you going to always try and push the boundaries and do things that are going to polarize? Well, we never got Budokan. No. But they say that, you know, that that's, that's just a story. It's not true. But uh, Sorry, know, not Budokan, but, you know. No, no, but that's the thing that people ask. And it's just, just well, for whatever it's worth, it's not true. And yeah. The... Um, uh, but you know, a lot of the films that I love, you know, uh, they had they were kind of received this way um, yeah. when they came out. So it just feels like um, part of you know, like a par for the course for for this kind of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a new thing. I guess you come into a filmmaking wanted come into filmmaking wanting to make a film and put your vision on the screen, and then you come to the other side, and there's a whole other thing you have to deal with. Right, and and there must be filmmakers that have giving you a bit of mentoring on that i suppose i mean nicholas van Riffen has been through that yeah he, he took he, he, he took a lot of heat for only god forgives but then every now everyone now everyone loves it you know yeah. he, he took it on the chin and you know he just uh it's just it's just a part of it big short yeah which is talk tackles the the subprime crisis and it's obviously a completely different way from lost river yeah um you're in this movie with with brad pitt and Steve uh, Carell, Steve Carell, Christian Bale, Christian Bale. Yeah, there could be a lot more memes coming out of this one. I think. Really, like what? I don't know. I can't think. Maybe <laughs> the first like hedge. They'll fund. find some. They'll find some. Yeah, like the first. I don't know. Mortgage-backed security meme. Yeah. And you're explaining, you know, That's financial not a bad idea, instruments. Actually. Maybe I'm going to get ahead of the curve on this one, and I'll just start them. Start them. Just I don't know quants. A yeah. quant meme. Can you can you explain yeah. what this stuff a, is? Just a synthetic CDO. What is that? Synth- synthetic CDO memes. Amazing. It's I don't know what idea. you're talking about, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, do you have to get in and understand this stuff? Because I think I could research it for a million years and have no idea about... You're playing a guy who was at Deutsche Bank. Right. Is that right? Yes. So someone that was really... The, the, other people at Deutsche Bank probably didn't know what he was doing. So how do you as an actor kind of get your head around it? Um, you know, there's a lot of really smart and helpful financial advisors on the film that are sort of helping us to... Uh, try and wrap our brains around it you know it's something that i didn't think could be interesting but is actually pretty interesting when you get into it yeah 
Moneyball is is I, I love Moneyball, another Brad Pitt movie. Yeah, which he worked really hard to bring to the screen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I just think that what McKay is doing as well with this is just obviously we haven't started yet, but at least from the script, it's really like inclusive for the audience, and it's really like it really takes you takes you in and cuts through all the terminology and helps you to really understand what happened. I mean, I, I felt like even just after reading the script, like I had I finally had some kind of an understanding of it. Gotcha. I'd love to ask you again uh, 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 also about Blue, Val- Blue Valentine, oh, a cool. film that people still watch and, and, and take a real emotional imp- you know, yeah. response to, may have a real emotional response to. And I wondered if it's, is that's a film that stayed with you, first of all. And second of all, I interviewed Michelle Williams a little while ago and talked to her about that month you guys spent together. Oh, yeah. And she said that, I said, I was asking like, who was doing all of the, most of the cooking and the chores. And she said that you were the, you were the lead, the lead, sort of domestically speaking. Is that fair? Um, I think I did most of the cooking. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird month, you know. But we got along pretty well. It's just Derek wanted us to, uh, he wanted us to fight, you know. So yeah. he would create these situations for us where, like, I smoked at the time, and so we were living on a budget, and, you know, I didn't have enough money to buy cigarettes you know so it was things like that where like he would make you uh he'd hit you where it hurt you know and try and get you to uh try and get you to um to stop getting along this is your mini credit crunch yeah how big was your budget for like a week i forget i forget what it was but it was like it it was not very much and it was just for her and i and then for our our little girl in the film so it was tight so you were just like snaffling it and spending a lot of fags and then coming back and I didn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a weird month, but you know that's that's Derek's process. It's part of what's you know so so cool about working with him is that he he goes that he goes he, you know he yeah goes, he goes to that extreme. You know? Did it help you? Because I know on this on Lost River you got your actors to do dream diaries, didn't you? So you, that's it, not true. Is it not true? No, oh, I mean God. I know it's, all this stuff is a better story than 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 the reality. So I'm tempted to kind of play it just to go with it. Who had the best dream, fake dream diary then? <laughs> <laughs> um, Mendelssohn. Um, no, we just, you know, because the film is a, f- is, a, is, a, is, is, a, is a dream, you know, we wanted to use a sort of dream logic in the film. Yeah. And we, so we just, it was a good way to sort of start talking about that and to all get on the same page. And we just had, we had like a few discussions about that, but there were no actual dream journals. Okay. That's fiction. Fair enough. There are obviously eighty-seven thousand two hundred fifty-nine Ryan Gosling memes on the internet. That's that's exactly that's right. The, that's the latest count, but I think it's going to go up with the whole credit. Well, yeah, with the, the synthetic video. Exactly. That's going to be one more. Are there are there any that make you laugh, or are they just like this is weird? Will you stop it? Um, what do you eat for breakfast? Do you have a problem with cereal? I love it. Do you have a favorite cereal? I live on it. Right. All of it. All of it. All cereals. Yeah. It's it's. Even like the really healthy ones. It hurts like me. All brands. brands. I will just walk down the street and people. Will, I mean, this one guy said to me like, "Why won't you eat your cereal?" <laughs> really mad, you know. Like, are you too good for cereal? And I love it. Are you too good for cereal? He asked yeah. you that in the street. And he was really, really upset about it. I hope you said yes. I'm far too good for cereal. <laughs> <laughs> just croissant. <laughs> um, Drive is a film that, that, that a lot of people really love, and I think people will continue to watch it for a long, long time. It feels some, something timeless about it. Nicholas, um, obviously a close collaborator and friend of yours, he tells a great story about your drive when you were talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. And he, the way he tells it, he was spaced out on like anti-pharmaceuticals, he had a bad cold, yeah. and there was a lulling conversation, and you put 
REO Speedwagon on. Can't Cough. fight this feeling anymore. Yeah. yeah. Is that exactly how you remember that particular moment? Pretty much. Uh, and then he started crying. And then he started crying. Yeah. And what did you do? You were driving, so you couldn't console him, I guess. Yeah. I was trying, oh, I was taking him home, you know, because he didn't talk to me all night. And he, he's trying to pass that off as a cold medication. He said it was a lulling conversation. You mean he wasn't speaking to you? Yeah, it was like a four-hour lulling conversation. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take you home. And then on the ride home, I put on Ario Speedwagon just to, like, quiet the silence. And he started crying. And then he looked at me and he said, this is it. This is the movie. And it was the movie. Was it the movie? It was the movie. Well, what was cool is that we had that experience when we were shooting. Like, any time we kind of lost our way or didn't know what the movie was, we would just go for a drive again and listen to music and we... We, 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 we reconnected to uh, we reconnected to it and he'd start crying again and <laughs> he's very emotional he's an emotional guy um, I need to ask you about the Shane Black movie yeah I've, we've seen some pap shots I probably shouldn't ask you about pap shots but I'm going to anyway because you're wearing a plaster cast Shane yeah. Black is someone that we love at Empire yeah he's a great writer he's got an amazing comic sensibility yeah and he doesn't make enough movies. Yeah. Um, can you tell? What can you tell me about it? You've got a plaster cast on it. Has a, it seems to have a duck graffiti on the side of it. Yeah. What nice. is the significance of the duck? I have a daughter in the film, and she she drew the duck. Okay. And uh, Russell Crowe breaks my arm early on in the movie, and then I'm and then we're forced to work together. Oh, okay. And you get some juicy dialogue. It's. It, I had so much fun making that film. We we. It's so. I think. Uh, I think I had the best time. I've had making a movie on that, so I'm I'm excited for that one. Talking about great dialogue, crazy stupid love, you get some amazing lines. Yes. Um, any particular favorites that you remember? I, I particularly love the. Um, be better than the gap. Be better than the gap. Yeah, but the Steve Jobs line, like. Right. New Balance trainers are the coolest things at the moment. Do you realize that? Yeah. Train New Balance, and you I know. pay them out. You're like, are you, are you the billionaire owner of? Of yeah, Microsoft, right. Of Apple, rather. Well, yeah, we had good, but good options for that one too. Like, what are you? Are you a cynical talk show host? <laughs> you know, what are you? Do you have a gaming chair at your house? Are you a Halo fan? I forget. We had a few. It's a lot of fun. Is it true? And I think I think this one is true that you were asked to name the film. The studio were like, "Can you? Anyone in the, on the cast and crew comes up with a name for this film? You get an iPad." Yeah, that's from true. From Steve Jobs, I assume. Did you come up with any 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 guesses? Any good? I thought like that Titanic. That that was taken though. would be cool. I know. So that that's why they didn't use it. But it is a good title, <laughs> and I stand by it being one. What did Emma Stone come up with? Anything better than that? I think she was with me on Titanic, but then they they nixed it. <laughs> yeah, but then we got crazy stupid love. Yeah. Which how do you feel about that? I like it. Oh, I like it. I like, nice. I like commas in a film title. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Punctuationally complete. It needs a full stop at the end, though, but, you know, what, what can you do? <laughs> Ryan Gosling, thank you so much sure, thanks for, for, uh, for joining me. us on the podcast. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to presume that interview went well because it hasn't actually happened yet. Um, so let's hope that Phil didn't end up setting him a fire or vice versa. Um, and we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you weren't appalled by Phil's <laughs> screams of agony as the flames <laughs> consumed its flesh. <laughs> I don't know why that would happen, but you, you never know. This goose wow. is cooked. <laughs> if Ryan Gosling is a baby goose, I mean, Apocalypse could take him and turn his skin into a tiger, you know, turn the wings, the feathers. According yeah. to James, according, sure. According to lore, yes, I think so. Uh, let's start uh, talking about this week's reviews with Lost River, which, it, as we've 
already pointed out, is Ryan Gosling's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. It stars Matt Smith and Indy Castiger and Christina Hendricks and Ben Mendelsohn being evil and moustache twirly yet again. Evil. Evil. Ooh, I'm Ben Mendelsohn. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is a slightly fantastical, almost surrealistic uh, story. So uh, the, the title refers to the town where single mother Billy, who's played by Christina Hendricks, lives. Uh, she has, she's trying to keep her family home, basically, which, you know, times are tough, hard to do. Uh, so she takes work uh, performing in a kind of quite twisted sort of a nightclub um, and her eldest son who's played by Shields in the <laughs> Castiger um, Bones uh, he crosses a local gang boss basically and uh, gets in trouble essentially so she's also trying to keep him out of trouble and he's trying to keep out of trouble um, so it's basically uh, another sort of devastated town think Detroit and then there's kind of this this there's one thread of kind of social realism and times are tough and people have no money and this seems a bit unfair thing. And then there's kind of a horror thread to this as well, kind of linking through, which they don't always quite work together. You mm. know, you kind of feel like maybe maybe you could have just gone with social realism or just gone with horror, but, you know, it's an interesting thing to try and do. Um, and loads and loads of, uh, of fantastic, fantastic actors kind of fleshing the place out. I mean... Matt Smith, you've seen probably the the sort of pictures of him on set with his shaven head, yes. uh, looking about the opposite of his doctor. Bow ties are not cool for this character. Um, you have uh, Saoirse Ronan in there. She's got a thing for rats. Um, Barbara Steele, who's a big horror legend, um, who, which had to be pointed out to me because I don't watch enough horror. But anyway, um, but she uh, she plays uh, her grandmother who looks after her, and uh, Ian DeCastiger is a kind of a scavenger, basically trying to make ends meet in this in this town. It's it's there's lots of interesting stuff going on. It doesn't always quite pull together. I think the story's basically quite straightforward, but there's all this kind of craziness happening around the edges, which makes it look a bit more complicated than it maybe is. So it's a really interesting start, not always successful. Um, R. Kim gave it three stars, which seems pretty much fair to me. Uh, seems like a director who will be, if he continues to direct, will be very interesting in years to definitely, come. Definitely, I definitely see something else that he did because I think there's there, he's got a real eye for weirdness here, which mm. I think is is promising. Well done, the baby goose. Three stars then uh, for Lost River. Next up, um, John Wick, oh, in which yes. Keanu Reeves stars as a mythical <clears throat> mythical hitman who uh, is dragged back into the business when Russian baddies kill his dog, which was bequeathed to him by his wife, who died. Yeah. And then he loved the dog, and then they killed the dog, and then that's a big mistake. It's just genius. It's genius because they literally create this character who is the baddest mother in the whole of organised crime, and yet is retired. And I think, do you know what, let's just get into it. Let's... Have his wife die. She gives him a dog. We'll have <laughs> Alfie Allen kill the dog, steal his car just to really rub it in, and then we'll just set him loose. Uh, and John Wick, therefore, goes around and on a rampage whereby he kills no less than 78 people between beginning and end credits. You've counted, or people have counted. There's the thing on YouTube this, where it, it tallies up every kill as he does it. This movie has been out. Yeah, the reason, yeah, this movie's been out in the States. For a long time. Yes, yes it has. It it's, came up. it's very unfair we had to wait this long. It, it is. Because well, it came up not an entirely dissimilar time to The Equalizer, which is obviously also kind of revenge porn. And if The Equalizer ends with the Battle of B&Q, then this is very much the Battle of John Wicks. Eh? 
Eh? No, all right. That's a very very first home base uh, comparison. (laughs) Oh, we are just DIY killing it, aren't we? Anyway, uh, the point of this is uh, that he goes on this rampage, but it's the way that everyone reacts to him that's genius. So, (laughs) Alfie Adam comes in, I stole this car, and John Leguizamo sees the car and is like, and he realizes whose car it is, and just the color drains from his face, and he thumps Alfie Allen in the face. And then when, you know, the, the crime lord finds out, they stole John Wick's car. And he's just like, oh, shit. And when John Wick goes to the club and infiltrates this massive bounce on the door, and he walks up behind him, the guy turns around and he's like, it's John Wick. And the bouncer goes, I'm going to take the night off. And yeah. just walks off. Everyone just walks away from this guy. They're just so terrified of him. And with good reason. And I think part of the reason is, this is directed by... Uh, Chad Stahelski and, and David Leach, who are formerly stunt coordinators. In fact, one of them, I want to say Chad, was Keanu's actual stunt double on The Matrix. And they've worked on The Matrix films with him and they've done lots of other things as well. But because they're stunt coordinators, they painstakingly choreograph every single gunfight. So it's full-on gun foo. Do you know what it actually genuinely reminds me of? It's the gun kata in From Equilibrium. Which always comes back to Equilibrium. But this is like... Imagine they had the gun cutter in a film that doesn't kind of a little bit suck it. I mean, and doesn't we love have Sean Pertwee's disembodied head. Have Sean yes. I mean, it, he is essentially doing that. He's a bit slower than he was in his Matrix days, mm. but he still has the same fluidity. And he also seems so much bigger. Like he's like he's a monster in this film. And bearded. And bearded. But I, honestly, I was watching this thinking maybe we shouldn't have dismissed the idea of Keanu playing Jack Reacher. Like he's just a force of nature in this. He's, he's not he's quite Reacher, but, Reacher, but he's not he's, quite that big. But he's I mean, big. He, he is, as you say, a force of nature. But it also he's so brutal. Like he kills. And he kills everyone, and he doesn't just kill them once. He kills them multiple times each. Everyone gets shot like twice in the chest and once in the head. And there's lots and lots of comedy in there as well. Just the way that you know, there's one where he has to. Reload mid murder of a particular person. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just really really well put together. I mean, um, Stahelski and Leach are, are very very good at this. Interestingly, they both trained under Guru Dan Inosanto, uh, who definition was of interesting. Who was Bruce Lee's mine. training partner and uh, and someone I have trained with myself. So I wow. am basically John Wick. Is he what he I'm brought that back. He did. He did he, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you rescued it. I'm John Wick. Uh, yeah, we we gave this four stars. Uh, I. Uh, I like the film. No I like the film. I don't know what's wrong with I you. I didn't. I didn't love it. It's godly. I think it's very stylish. the The action scenes is a great bit of car food towards the end. Um, is great. Keanu's fantastic, but it's just a bit rote for me. Really, oh. it, it, it's it lives in the same house as the Equalizer, which is another fun it, old school movie that pushes pushes all the right buttons. Okay. Isn't okay. anyone John Wick? Let's be real. The Equalizer is like the shed in the garden, and this is the mansion. <laughs> it's absolutely not. And if we're going to push but, the DIY metaphor, this you know the the Equalizer is like the little B and Q on the corner in North Finchley, and this is the flagship store with all the special offers and the bathrooms and the garden centre. It's 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 pretty spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> and the fitted kitchens anyway uh, it's stand, great stand go and see it I, I loved it you will love it too also if you're a fan of The Wire it's got some brilliant uh, it you does. Know, yes, Wire-inian yes. stuff in there it does uh, good, Lance Reddick's in it uh, and Mr. Lester Freeman Clark Peters uh, Clark Peters is yeah. in it uh, Adrian Pilecki is in it as well yeah. uh, mm-hmm. former very briefly Wonder Woman and from uh, Friday Night Lights uh, it's got loads of sort of blink and you'll miss them even Willem Dafoe has got a relatively minor yeah. part in it as well um, yeah I, this is a film I can't get into without spoiler special in it, so we're not going to. Uh, but I would be able to 
properly elucidate my yes. my issues with the We've film. We've talked about this a lot. Spoiler special, but yeah, it's absolutely fine. I don't quite get the cult that's grown up around this movie. I need to re- I need to see it again brilliant. so I can I can change so, my mind. <laughs> also, it reestablishes Keanu's action credentials, yeah. which oh, he brilliant. hasn't really re- you know worked on since the Matrix, or to put mm. as he puts it in the film. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Yes, but at that point he is. Oh, well, okay. I'm not going to get into it. I, I can't get into it. Uh, yeah, it's very, very good. Uh, but I wouldn't go four stars good, but you've drunk I, the Kool-Aid. I did go four stars you've, good, yeah, so go see go. it so, I mixed the Kool-Aid myself yeah. Okay. to drink. To drink, It's great. All right. In the cafe at the flagship store yeah. of B&Q. <laughs> Yay, John Wick. I feel I've been somewhat battered here. Uh, I feel like I've gone 12 rounds with John Wick myself. This is weird because I don't dislike the film. I like the film. I, I like think the we film. Can all not enough, agree. Chris. Not enough. Not enough. I think we can all agree it's the best film ever made. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah, you go. Four stars for John Wick. The Equalizer is better. Uh, right. Okay. No, it's not. It's not better. It's not better. It's a different film. But you know, it's it's good because it's you know, Take a Three was so terrible, and we needed a good revenge thriller, and this is a good revenge thriller. So that's, that's fine. And I'd, I'd be more than happy to see this character uh, in another movie, which is. Apparently, maybe happening. Which yeah, will be well, John Wick too. That actually yeah. is, is something worth mentioning because there's a real sense of building a wider mythology here, which I think, yes. and they do it really. They do it really nicely. They're not shoving it in your face. It doesn't seem like it demands a sequel. It just seems like I would like to know more about all these people because there's really interesting stuff happening around the edges. Here. Yes, but that's it's, a sh- it's a shadowy world of shadowy hitmen, and there's a shadowy hotel for shadowy hitmen, which has its own special shadowy check-in, which presumably you have a a shadowy point scheme and so your own shadowy yeah. currency. Yeah, you got your own shadowy currency and a shadowy nightclub for shadowy hitmen. Run and by shadowy all, Lovejoy. It's all about, yeah, Lovejoy's in it, you know, uh, not as Lovejoy. It's always a great disappointment to be that Ian McShane hasn't <laughs> reprised that role in, in a big Hollywood film. But um, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm fully on board. John Wick's greatest film ever made. Go and see it. Um, four stars. Victory in our time. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get into my problems with the film without spoiling it. Anyway, let's talk about another film. Uh, Cobain, Montage of Heck, uh, which is a documentary about the late, great Kurt Cobain, who uh, took us on live 20 years ago this week. Um, Side note, I went to see Letters Live on Saturday night. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but basically there was a... um, It's a a live event that is a kind of companion piece to, uh, among other things, Sean Usher's Letters of Note, which is a book that compiles... Letters of note throughout the ages from celebrities to celebrities, from ordinary people to ordinary people, but just really well written, really interesting correspondence throughout the years. And uh, they had a lavish uh, five night uh, live event in London's Freemasons Hall, just around the corner from the Empire offices uh, last week. The likes of Sir Ben Kingsley, Sir Ian McKellen, you know, some really, really big names came out and read uh, letters live in front of an audience. And uh, it was pinned by Benedict Cumberbatch and Louise Brealey, who's his Sherlock co-star. And they were the regulars. They did, they were dated every single night. So I went to see it on Saturday night with my wife. And uh, we, were, we were treated. We had, um, so it was Cumberbatch, it was Brealey, it was Tom Hiddleston, it was Toby Jones, it was Kylie Minogue. It was lots of really, really cool people. Anyway, Cumberbatch came out at one point and read... Kurt Cobain's suicide note, which I'd never read or heard before. Really? And which was absolutely gut-wrenching. Just a a real scream into the abyss. Um, So, yeah, this is very much on my mind at the moment. Uh, Jimbo, you're a a big Nirvana fan like myself. Helen, you are as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I had tickets for the week he died. Well, I I have a ticket dated the day he died, uh, which they still owe me £15.54. 
but um, yeah, I have, I have it in, in utero frame. on MP3. Well, good for you. Uh, yeah, this is Brett Morgan's documentary, uh, Cobain, Montage of Heck. Uh, Brett Morgan, of course, who did uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture. He also did Crossfire Hurricane, which is the uh, Rolling Stones documentary. Um, it's an interesting one because this isn't a Nirvana documentary. It's a Kurt Cobain documentary. And there is kind of a difference there. It focuses very much on Kurt. It's his life. Uh, Chris Novoselic uh, does appear in it. He's interviewed at various points. There's no Dave Grohl whatsoever except in archive footage. And I think that's perhaps the one thing in this film which feels a little peculiar, the lack of growl. But as I say, it's very, very Cobain-oriented. Um, Courtney Love sort of opened up uh, her photos, her home videos uh, to Morgan to give you... It gives you a really personal insight into the man. Uh, there's sort of readings from Cobain's diary when he was younger, sort of journals that he wrote, and they put uh, a kind of a strange animated sort of sequence over the top of it. So you see him as a kid, it's all sort of... Uh, uh, all put together with him reading the uh, with the journal entries over it. Like I say, it's it's very good. It's a very interesting look at the man. It, what it doesn't do, I think, is really tackle the band, how important they were, the impact they had on the wider Seattle music scene. Uh, so I think what it lacks is context. And it's strange because it's a film that's well over two... Well, well over, it's over two hours long. It's about two hours, 15 minutes. Um, and you feel a little bit like it, it, it agonises over the tiny details, whether it be journal entry, entries, uh, Kurt and Courtney just talking on camera before a gig. It's very personal, very small, without any big picture. And I think perhaps the most disappointing part, though, is that it ends uh, a week before he dies. Um, the last thing you pretty much see is the Nirvana MTV Unplugged session, and uh, there's just a there's just a title card that says, you know, when he returned from travelling, he killed himself. And to a certain extent, if it's the story of Kurt Cobain, I think you really need that. I think you wanted it in there. I get that it's supposed to be a celebration of his life, not his death, but, you know, very famously, Courtney Love lashed out after he killed himself. She read, I believe, his suicide note at a gig or something, and she, you know, said she had the whole crowd call him an asshole for being so selfish. You know, there was a lot of that... You know, there's a lot happens after the death that I think we missed. But, you know, those minor quibbles aside, it is a good documentary. It's probably the closest uh, you'll ever get to understanding who he was as a man. And if for no other reason, it's, uh, it's worth, worth watching for that. It's also very well put together, very, you know, creatively uh, constructed. Mm. Okay, so uh, three stars then for Cobain, Montage of Heck. Uh, if you're a Nirvana or a Cobain fan, go and see it. Uh, also out this week, we don't have time sadly to get into it, is uh, Good Kill, the Ethan Hawke uh, drone movie. Uh, which we gave four stars to, reunion with Andrew Nichol in that one. Uh, the Swedish drama Force Majeure, which we also gave uh, four stars to. Uh, we gave two stars to Hot Tub Time Machine 2, which I didn't see that one coming. And uh, Paul Bart Mall Cop 2 is also out this week. We have not seen it at the time of recording, but we expect it to be a five-star modern classic. So uh, do go and see that one indeed. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, who is Hans Gruber. You ask for miracles, Theo. I give you... Ladies and gentlemen. Alan Rickman. Ladies and gentlemen. He'll be here to talk about his new movie, A Little Chaos, but mainly we'll be asking him about Die Hard, obviously. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. Mr. Takagi. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to B&Q. See you next week.